Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and a true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is our continuation of our conference breakdown series, and today we're going to break down the Big Ten. So the seven teams that we're going to look at today are Michigan, Illinois, Ohio State, Iowa, Wisconsin, Purdue, and Rutgers, and Jalen and I at the end of the episode will pick our sleeper. So let's get right into it and start with Michigan. What aspect about Michigan has been the most successful this season? I think the biggest thing with them is just team play. I think that's the biggest thing because when you look at Michigan, there's nobody besides maybe Hunter Dickinson that really like jumps off the page. Now, I know that, you know, Franz Wagner uh, is a guy who's been like discussed as a like a top 15, top 20 NBA talent um in terms of the upcoming nba draft pool but in terms of college production like he hasn't been a guy who's like really snapped yet if that makes any sense like he's a guy who's played about an average level he's a very like i hate to like compare him to like a guy like this but he's very like Tyler Zeller-esque like you know what I mean like he's just one he's one of those guys that like in college he's a very good model of consistency but when he's discussed as an NBA talent he has a certain level of upside but you kind of just need to see it within an NBA framework with the new kind of spacing and things that they have taking place at the moment but I think it's just the fact that they play overall good team basketball that really stands out to me I think the other thing too obviously is the defense right I think that's the the opponent's points per game is ridiculous right now we're talking about Big Ten opponents and 24th, uh, 24th ranked Purdue, 53 points. Maryland, 63 points. Um, Minnesota, that game, that's one of the lit down games. We'll probably end up talking about them a little bit later, but they gave up 75 in that game. But then against Wisconsin, 54. Minnesota earlier in the season, 57. Northwestern, 66. Like, this is a team that clamps really clamps down on defense. It's when they have off games defensively that I think that's when you see these other teams jump out to really big leads. I think the other thing to touch on too is that they, they're they a team that, I don't know, like it's like they don't really shoot the three ball a lot, but like when they do it, it's like actually relatively well. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like only 15 threes attempted in the game against Purdue but they hit six of them for 40% on the night. That's that's a pretty good shooting split for them in terms of that night. You look at the game against Maryland. Again, not that many threes considering like what the game is transitioning to. Only 24 threes. I think that might be about what the college average might be at this point. But they hit 12 of them, 50% from the floor. So I think the fact that this team, right, embodies this, like, 3 and D mentality across the board, and they don't have, like, they have a go-to guy in Hunter Dickinson, but they don't have, like, a lead, like, they don't have, like, a true lead guard, really. You know what I mean? It's kind of a guard-by-committee situation. And... I think that all kind of lines things up for this team to just be dangerous across the board. Cause I think similar to Syracuse teams in the past, if you clamp up on defense and you can score from distance at a high clip, 
I think you're in any ball game. And so far, they've just been smacking. They've been smacking the Big Ten around outside of that game against Minnesota, obviously, that they lit down a couple about a week or two ago. And the interesting thing about Hunter Dickinson is that when we had Brooks on the show, Brooks mentioned that Hunter Dickinson could have been at Maryland. And look at him now at Michigan. Hunter Dickinson leads the team in points and rebounds, and he's arguably their best player. And then just looking at the other players on the team who have been as consistent as Hunter Dickinson, Isaiah Livers is averaging 14 points a game and six rebounds, and he's shooting over 40% from the field and from three. And Livers has been able to get to the line and shoot efficiently from the line, and he leads the team in free throw percentage. Franz Wagner is averaging 12 points a game and seven rebounds and over a steal a game. And then other guys on the team are getting it done, like Shondi Brown, Mike Smith, and Eli Brooks, who have all been solid players for this team. Like you mentioned, this is a, a real team effort on the part of Michigan. And for that reason, they really have a great chance of winning the Big Ten. Yeah, Michigan, Michigan is a really interesting team because, again, they don't really have anybody that necessarily stands out. Again, Frost Wagner is obviously the guy who is considered the NBA prospect for the team. But overall, they don't have anybody that necessarily stands out too crazy outside of Dickinson. And that's the really interesting thing about it because of the fact that they really have played some decent competition so far this year. I mean, unfortunately, they keep picking on our Terrapins. So that's one of those things we got to try to just let slide because – They've been, you know, getting big wins over them. But then you look at other situations. Like I said, they got an earlier win against Minnesota. I still think that's a quality win. A big win, big, big win, 23-point win over Wisconsin. I mean, and, of course, the the big win over Purdue as well. Now, I think what they have going down the stretch is pretty interesting as well because they they still have Ohio State. They still have Iowa in the end of the year on Michigan State, who's having a down year. But I still think it's going to be a tough out to close the season off, especially because that's a rivalry game. And if anybody knows anything about their rivalry, it's not going to be taken lightly. I don't think it's going to get chippy, but I don't think it's going to be one of those games that looks like a blowout. I think it's going to be a game that's really close. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see what this team does in real adversity based situations. So far, they've done really well against some of the ranked opponents and they've they've even got Illinois in this mix coming up. So I think they I think they got a couple more chances to really show us what they're about. But as a team effort, like you said beforehand, they they are a problem as a group. So moving on now to Illinois. Jalen, they just came off of a huge win against Iowa, 80 to 75. Do you think that Illinois has a great chance of winning the Big Ten? I think that I think they have an excellent chance of winning the Big Ten, especially with the fact that Kofi Coburn has really stepped up to, uh, to the plate as of late. He's been a guy who like as Ayo DeSumo is like slowly tailing off, like even in that game against Iowa, Ayo uh, only had 13 points in that game. I mean, you look at it again, similar circumstances against Penn State, 13 points for Ayo DeSumo, 21 and 12 for Kofi Coburn. Like all of a sudden, this team is like starting to lean on Kofi as their leading scorer, their lead player, the guy that they want to create actions for. Ayodesuma is almost an innocent bystander in the mix of all of this. And it's really interesting to look that way because this is a guy who not even a couple weeks ago, we were talking about as having a legit, a legit chance. And I even argued, I thought he had a better chance than Luca Garza, uh, Luca Garza in the national player of the year award race. So the fact that this has become a more like Kofi Coburn esque team is like really interesting to me because of the fact that 
I thought, I always felt that Ayo DeSumo was the driving force of this team. And I still believe he is. I still think that he's a guy come Big Big Ten tournament time and the NCAA tournament that he's going to have to be the guy that hits the big shots. He's going to be the guy that's going to have to have the ball in his hands the most. And he's going to have to create for his teammates to give themselves a real good chance of making it far in either one of those tournaments. But Ryan, here's the caveat. And I'm going to bring it up for you because I know it's coming. When it comes to Adam Miller, I'm done. I'm over it. I'm over it. I know beforehand we contemplated on our past episode when we were talking about Illinois that we are not necessarily sure who Adam Miller is. We saw what he did in the first initial games as one of, like, we were we were calling Ayuda Sumu and Adam Miller Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum in the first week of basketball for the NCAA. That's that's what we were labeling them as. It's not that. I promise you that right now. Right now, they look like Lonzo Ball and Eric Bledsoe. That's what they look like right now. And honestly, I don't know necessarily if that's a great thing or not. I know Lonzo just came off a really great three-point shooting night and got 27 points, but that's almost my point. Ayu Desumu can go for anywhere between 20 and 30 points a night. While Eric Bledsoe is a guy who pops off here and there, but mainly his his bread and butter is locking up defensively. I don't even know if this this guard duo is even that because I don't see Adam Miller as a lockdown defender, and Ayudasumu is slowly tailing off offensively. So I I don't know, man. I'm in a really weird spot with them because of the fact that. I don't know, man. Like in the game against Iowa recently, he went for 25, he went for 25, two and four. Trent Frazier was his, was his, his role, man, his, his secondary guy, his Robin with 24 points. And they win the game despite Kofi Coburn having nine and 10. So like, we know what this team is capable. I'm, I'm going to harp back on the point that we made initially. We know what this team is capable of when firing on all cylinders. So why is it that we are still not confident in them? Is it really Adam Miller? It can't be just Adam Miller playing subpar, if not, you know, sorry, kids, but piss poor for most of the season. It can't be, there's no way, right? Like, Ryan, am I tripping? It can't be, it can't be Adam Miller's play that's really the reason why this team is so wishy-washy. It has to be something else. Well, before I talk about Adam Miller, and I do want to touch on a lot of the points that you mentioned with Kofi Coburn, nine points and 10 rebounds in the win against Iowa. He was playing at his best in that game. And I feel like this season, he's been playing at his best. He came into the game with six straight double-doubles including a 21 and 12 game against Penn state. And then you put a 15 and 11 against Iowa state 15 and 15 against Indiana. He's been arguably their best player up to this point. I Desumu, I don't know what happened with him. We were talking about him and Adam Miller as the CJ McCollum and the Damian Lillard of college basketball. I would assume we put up 13 points in that win. And I thought he was going to go off for 25 and 10. And then Adam Miller, like you mentioned, I don't know what's going on with Adam Miller, but he had zero points in 18 minutes. 
Zero points in 18 minutes against the seventh-ranked team in the country. Ryan, could you repeat that one more time for the viewers who did not – the viewers and listeners who did not key in on how significant that stat is. Can you say that one more time, please? Zero points in 18 minutes. 18 against, minutes. Against the seventh-ranked team in the country. You came up with a goose egg against one of the top 10 teams in the country when you're supposed to flex your muscles and show why you're a top tier team in the big 10 this season. And your, your backcourt mate, your backcourt mate puts up his, he does what he's supposed to do. But then you come out and do that. Continue on with your point, Ryan. I just wanted to, I just wanted that to be expressed. I think I needed to express that because we mentioned this before on a previous episode with Adam Miller's subpar performances. He is just as big of a part of this offense as Ayu Desumu is. But yet Ayu Desumu is putting up significantly better performances than he is. Now, granted, he put up 14 and 7, Adam Miller did, against Ohio State. In a close loss. That was his first double digit performance since January 7th against Northwestern. And in between that, he put up nine points against Maryland and nine points against Penn State and then zero against Iowa. I don't understand what happened in this stretch, but Illinois, I thought they were a competitive team, especially with how great. Ayo DeSumo has been playing thus far and Kofi Coburn has been picking up the slack but Adam Miller is just one problem for Illinois I think that Ayo DeSumo needs to put up better numbers and I feel like Kofi Coburn needs to continue to play at the level that he's been playing at because we didn't see that at the beginning of the season but he's doing it now which is great but Ayo DeSumo needs to play significantly better, and Adam Miller needs to – he needs to play a lot better. I don't know what's next for Illinois, but I think that Illinois needs to step up, and I think that they, they, were, they were doing so well earlier in the season, but I feel like it's not, it's not the same. Yeah, I, de- I think they definitely need some more Iowa-style games where Ayo DeSumo is scoring, you know – 25 points in the game. I think Kofi Coburn is definitely a guy who could for sure, for sure, um, you know, step up a little bit more. He barely had a double-double in that game despite being a double-double machine. Uh, We're going to need more games like that from Io in these games coming up against Wisconsin, uh, Michigan, obviously. And then you throw out the fact that on top of that, they also have teams like Wisconsin and Ohio State to end off the season so I think that it's going to be really huge for them moving forward in terms of getting big performances from their big guys because otherwise you know this is just another normal middle of the pack team in the Big Ten if those guys don't play up to par and I feel like they have so much potential where they are a better team than what they're playing like right now and especially Adam Miller I feel like Adam Miller has those flashes of potential but he's not showing them and that zero-point performance against Iowa is just another reason why Illinois has been struggling to this point because they can't get 
solid performances from their best players. But moving on now to Ohio State. Jalen, Ohio State has significantly improved from last season. What do you believe has been their major improvement from last year to this year? I don't know. That one's really tricky because, like, they don't – I mean, they're not doing anything, like, extremely special. I mean, I guess you could say that EJ Liddell is playing, like, really well. Like, I mean, you know, he had 20 20 and 8 against Michigan State. Um, I think that was a pretty good one. 22 and 7 against Penn State. Like, I mean, when you look at the bigger game, one of the bigger games that obviously stands out is their game against Wisconsin. He had 20 and 7 in that game. I think – I want to say that it's just the fact that EJ Liddell is like the truth. Like, I mean, you had that weird game where Dwayne Washington Jr. kind of came back and came back to life against Purdue, but they lost that game by two. That was a game where EJ Liddell only had 11 and seven. So it kind of just seems like if EJ is not on, they lose. When EJ is up playing up to par, they have games like the what they had against Illinois where they won 87 to 81, and he has 26 points and seven rebounds. Like, it seems like basic – I don't know if they've necessarily done anything different besides EJ improving because this team outside of that really kind of is – it kind of is going as EJ goes. Like I said, if you kind of look at some of the – at least the most recent games, when EJ puts up 20 points or better – they're pretty much in the ball game and they pretty much win the ball game. When he, when he underperforms that they either lose the ball game entirely or they lose it in a close stretch to end the game out. So I really just think it's, I think, I just think EJ is that nice. I guess I think that's the best way to phrase it. EJ is really just playing up to, up to par and he's really the main catalyst to this team's victories um, so far this year. I feel like I have to agree with you looking at what his what his stats were last year to this year. He averaged 6.7 points per game, 3.8 rebounds, and half of an assist in 2019 and 2000, in the 2019-2020 season. This year, he's putting out 15 points a game, close to seven rebounds, and assist a game. He's averaging over a block a game and just under a steal a game. I feel like he's really been... He's been an effect on the winning aspect. I know, Jalen, you like to talk about how players have their effect on the winning aspect. Mm -hmm. And he's really been one of the reasons why Ohio State's been winning a lot of their games. If you look at this season and his individual performances, against Michigan State, they won that game and he had 20 points. Against Penn State, they won, he had 22. Wisconsin, they won, he had 20. Illinois, they won. He had 26. Against Rutgers, he had 15. They won. And then 21 points against Rutgers again. They won that game. And then against UCLA, he had nine points, but he also contributed on the defensive side with a steal. I feel like wherever EJ Liddell goes, like however he performs, is how well the team plays. And I think that pretty much reiterating a lot of your points, but I feel like the main reason why they've been so successful is because of EJ Liddell. And depending on how well he performs in the final stretch, coming down the home stretch, it could determine whether whether Ohio State wins the Big Ten regular season championship or they end up falling out of the top seven. 
Yeah, I mean, I guess that is a, a pretty rough stretch in terms of talking about it. But, I mean, they've got a couple of games here that are going to tell us a lot about themselves, too. I mean, this is one of the conferences that we were referring to when we were talking about the Big 12. This is another one of those teams in the uh, – one of those uh, conferences in the Big 10 that's pretty crouchy at the top, <laughs> to be honest. And here's the proof in the pudding, honestly. They get Iowa again um, on February 4th. And looking further down the list – their last four games of the season are against Michigan, Michigan State, Iowa again, and they close the season out with Illinois. Like, that's no joke. That is no joke to closing out the season before going into Big Ten tournament play. Like, that's legitimately – I mean, Ryan, I'm not, I'm not sitting here, like, projecting anything, but that could almost to a certain extent be your run to – winning the big 10 championship maybe not literally in that order because i don't think you're gonna catch i don't think you're gonna catch iowa illinois and michigan all in the same stretch i don't think that'll happen there's a potential chance but i don't think they're gonna catch all three of those teams on the way to the the big 10 um big 10 tournament championship game but i think arguably three out of those four teams have a chance at it with Michigan State being the outlier. And I genuinely think that Michigan and Iowa probably have the best chance to meet Ohio State there if I, if Ohio State were to make a run at it. So, I mean, you're talking about basically seeing a little bit of what your Big Ten tournament for the Big Ten tournament run for them might look like moving forward. They might catch Michigan State in the first round and then got to take one of these big guys out to get to the next round and be in the semifinals. So, it's going to be really interesting to see what their play is in these last four games in particular. Cause like I said, I think it'll project a lot into what the tournament will look like for them specifically with where they're ranked right now. So now moving on to Iowa and Jalen, I want to pose this question about Luca Garza. How much of an effect does Luca Garza have on the winning side for Iowa? I mean, that one's odd because I feel like, I feel like Luka Garza is going to do what he does. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like he's a guy who's going to walk around and put the ball in the basket and it's not going to have anything to do with anything. Like, let's put it in perspective like this. I'll start with the Northwestern game. We'll start with, we'll do the last three games in particular. I'll start with the Northwestern game. He has 17 and 10 and they win 96 to 73. Big body win over Northwestern. Expected, but big body win over Northwestern. But then you play Indiana. He has, he walks into that game and he has 28 and 12. They lose 81 to 69. 81 to 69. Now, let me touch, let me point on this by saying Jordan Bohannon went over in that game. I'm going to come back to that later. You go to the last game against Illinois. They lose by five points, 80 to 75. In that game, Luca Garza has 19 and four. Luca Garza is going to average 17 to 26 points on a night on a nightly basis. It's going to be somewhere on a on a nightly basis. He's going to get somewhere around that that little inkling one way or another. I think the biggest thing for them and this is where I'm going to go back to some of their bigger wins. This is where I'm going to touch on stuff like that. You go into some of these other games where Luca Garza gets that second guy. We look at the game against Rutgers where they won by two. Bohannon puts up 13 points. We go to the game where they beat Maryland. I'm sorry that Maryland has to keep being the topic of, of, of discussion here, but still, 
Jordan Bohannon puts up 18 points in that game against Maryland. They win that game. You look at the game against Minnesota, they win 86 to 71. In that game, Luca Garza has 33, but Jordan Bohannon has 19 points, seven rebounds, and 14 assists. Joe Wiscamp also had 20 points in that game. But again, Jordan Bohannon had 19, 7, and 14 in that game. I don't think that Luca Garza is that guy. Like, I don't legit, I think he is the definition of a stat padding big a big man. I think I think he's a guy. I hate that I keep making these really like weird like college comparisons, but like he reminds me a lot as a bucket getter to like how Doug McDermott was for Creighton once upon a time. And I honestly don't think that's as disrespectful because of the fact that Doug McDermott was a legit, a legit scorer for Creighton. He was one, I mean, he was one of the top, top scorers in college basketball history over a four year stretch. And I literally think that Luca Garza falls into like a very similar category as being a guy who's going to just get his, he's going to get his. And I don't think that that's, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But I think that guys like Jordan Bohannon are and and Wiscamp, guys who can shoot the three ball at a high clip. I think that's what moves the needle for Iowa. I think that Luca Garza is the guy who sets the tone, both emotionally and from a physical standpoint, being the guy who you know is the main dominating presence when you think Iowa basketball. But their ability to shoot the three at a really well clip and rebound really well. I think that's the thing that really moves the needle for them. And Luca Garza is just a cog of that. I think that's the big thing for him. Honestly, I don't know if that's disrespectful to compare him to Doug McDermott or not. Somebody can let me know, but I think that Doug McDermott is, is a guy who was a legitimate bucket getter. I think Luca Garza is pretty similar. Doug McDermott. That's an interesting comparison considering how much of a, how much of an effect that he had on the winning side at Creighton, like Creighton won a lot of games when he was there, but I feel like when we, when you're comparing him to Luca Garza, I don't really see that he wins that, that he helps them win a lot of games. Like granted, he has great performances, like when they win, but he also has great performances when they lose. Twenty eight and twelve against Indiana, nineteen points against Illinois, thirty two and seventeen against Minnesota in overtime loss, thirty and ten against Gonzaga. Luca Garza, even though Luca Garza is averaging great numbers, 26 points a game, eight rebounds, he's shooting 60% from the field. They're not winning a lot of these games you expect them to win. You're kind of expecting them to beat Indiana. You expect them to beat Illinois. You expect them to beat Minnesota. I was a great team overall, but they're on a two-game skid at the wrong time of the season, Fast. especially because – Considering that when you lose to Indiana and Illinois, who are great teams in their own right, when you lose to these teams, it hurts you in the standings. It hurts you in the long run, especially with these losses. They now have, I believe, four losses on the year. And two of them are in conference play. Actually, should I say three of them are in conference play? It doesn't help when three of your losses are in conference play. Now, granted, your other loss was against Gonzaga, the best team in the country right now. But when you're losing to unranked Minnesota, unranked Indiana, and Illinois, who's on a skid of their own, 
I feel like even though Luca Garza continuously has great performances, he's not helping the team win. And it doesn't help when guys like Jordan Bohannon aren't stepping up either. Yeah. I mean, I, that's, that's, that was my main point. That's why I said when I was pointing out that Joe Jordan Bohannon did not perform necessarily well against um, Illinois that was my whole point. When you look back at it, and we already went through some of the statistics earlier, like when you look at it, when Jordan Bohannon plays at a high level, uh, Waste Camp as well, when those two guys shoot at a high clip, play at a high level, this team wins ball games. And Luca Garza is just the headline for it because he's the guy who gets 23 points, 27 points, 33 points, stuff like that. He's the guy who headlines the W because he's the one who puts the ball in the basket the most. But it's when their backcourt plays extremely well that they get the most production that elevates them into the winning, winning basketball category. Like that's when they play winning basketball that's conducive to them being an actual threat in the Big Ten. When they don't play well, Luca Garza is the headline for all the wrong reasons. He's the guy who kept them afloat because of his scoring output. But when they win, Luca Garza is the headline because he scored the most points. But the reality is that their backcourt played at a high level, and that's what elevated them to the dubs. So I, I think that. I think that that's going to be huge for them moving forward. And my big thing with them is that they've got a pretty good amount of tests left. Obviously they do get Indiana again. They get Iowa, they get Ohio state um, later on in, um, or later on somewhere in the mix of this. And of course they end the season out by getting Wisconsin, Penn state, Ohio state again, Michigan, and then Wisconsin again. So that last five games, Hey man, tell us what you're about because I think that I think that Luca Garza, from a statistical standpoint, obviously is in the National Player of the Year conversation. But in terms of his impact on winning, I think I think he's a guy who I I think he's a guy who legitimately needs help to be a winning basketball player. I think he needs legitimate pieces around him, even in college basketball to be a winning-oriented basketball player. Moving on now to Wisconsin. And Jalen, I kind of wanted to get your perspective on Wisconsin. Where do you believe they stand in the Big Ten? Tricky, tricky. So uh, I think Wisconsin is legitimately slated, like about right where they're supposed to be, like 6th, 7th in the conference, 5, 6, 7 in the conference, somewhere in that that realm, I think is where they're supposed to kind of be at. And I think that's just out of the fact that like they, they constantly just have a different guy who comes up big for them on a game to game basis. If we look at their game against Penn state, that was the one where it was kind of like a big team effort, but the big one was like Nathan Roovers off the bench had 18 points for them. Along with the fact that Aleem Ford had 15 in that game. 15 and eight. And so I think that one, that's one of those where you get a surprise, you know, surprise performance off the bench. It was in a 10 point loss, but you get a surprise performance off the bench. And it's a really interesting sight because you see somebody else step up. When you look at their game against Maryland, that's one of those games where all of a sudden their two starting forwards don't really play as well, but Micah Potter goes for 23 and 12. And the only person to score double digits in the game outside of him is Demetric Trice, who had 13 in that game. 
yet they still won 61 to 55. Does that say more about Wisconsin or more about Maryland? Who knows? But that's just the cookie. That's just how the cookie crumbles. You look at their game against Ohio State, for example, and that was another loss. Uh, EJ Liddell went for 27, as I mentioned earlier. In that game, Ford had 13, Trice had 12. Like, they're just a team that they're very up and down. I mean, if you even look at where things went, beats Wisconsin, beats Northwestern, loses to Ohio State, lose, uh, beats Maryland, loses to Penn State. Like, they're, they're an ebbs and flows team. But unlike Illinois in this perspective, they're an ebbs and flows team that actually kind of makes sense. They don't have any in particular player or set of players on the roster that make you think they're supposed to be better than where they are. If one could argue that they're actually outperforming their their talent right now, honestly, by being the fifth best team in the Big Ten, because honestly, like I said beforehand, I think they actually slate they actually slate better closer to the middle of the pack around six, seven ish, maybe even eighth from a talent perspective. But they just play so well as a team in terms of a different guy showing up big for them every single night that that's what keeps them afloat. And although they're losing certain games, they're coming up big in other ones. And that's the biggest thing that's keeping them astray right now. And I, I mean, the thing that's leading them, the, the thing that's going to lead them to the dark spot, I think for them is the fact that they get Illinois, Michigan, they get Illinois again and close the year out with Purdue and Iowa. So, for a team that's middle of the pack, their stretch to close out the season also isn't very conducive to them getting any better going into the Big Ten tournament either. So Wisconsin is tricky. And I feel like they're a lot like Michigan in the sense where it's a team effort for every mm-hmm. single game. There's always a different guy stepping up for them. And I think that's what makes them so great is that they don't have one go-to guy. They have multiple you mentioned Ruvers coming off the bench, Nate Ruvers. He put up 18 points in the loss to Penn State. He also had 11 points in the loss to Ohio State. I think that's interesting, especially just given the production that he provides coming off the bench. Aleem Ford, who on the season's averaging close to 10 points a game, he had 15 against Penn State, 13 against Ohio State, and 14 against Rutgers. All of them are great performances. And then you mentioned with Trice, who stepped up huge against Maryland, Ohio State, Northwestern, and Rutgers, all double-digit performances. And then the other guy that you mentioned with Micah Potter, he put up 23 points against Maryland. He just decided to put up a double-double against Maryland. But he also had double-digit performances against Ohio State, Northwestern, and Rutgers. So I feel like in a lot of sense – I feel like in – most cases with a team that has multiple stars they flourish because there's there's multiple guys that have the chance to win the game for your team and also have a great game on their own but i feel like that's that's the interesting thing with wisconsin that i feel like they could really be a dark horse in this conference because they don't have one legitimate star i feel like that's that's kind of the case with michigan in a lot of cases with Michigan, Hunter Dickinson has great games. Isaiah Livers has great games. Franz Wagner has great games. The thing that, that I can compare with Michigan and Wisconsin to is that both teams have stars that step up in different games. 
Yeah, I think that one of the bigger themes that we're going to have throughout most of the Big Ten is the fact that a lot of these teams have a very team-oriented style of winning basketball games. They don't have the one guy they lean on to carry them to the promised land. It's got to be a group effort for them to come up with the dub. Um, one of these, one of the jokes I actually made with my uh, with my friend when we were talking about this as I was prepping for this is that this is like the 2015-2016 Atlanta Hawks conference right here. Like as a whole, that's that's what this team screams to me is that if you don't remember, if you don't remember the 2015-2016 Hawks, this was the team that sent five all-stars, uh, five players to the all-star game, like spearheaded by guys like Al Horford. Uh, I think it was Damari Carroll, Jeff Teague, um, Kyle Korver, and then I believe Paul Millsap was the other one. And when you list out those names, especially in today's NBA, obviously, we're a couple years removed, none of those guys scream superstar to you. And obviously back then, Al Horford and Paul Millsap were the staples of that team. And Al Horford was probably the most recognizable name at the time as one of the better centers in the Eastern Conference. But they were a team that pretty much carried themselves into the playoffs with the best record in the in, in the Eastern Conference that season, despite the Miami Heat being what they were. Based off the fact that they played really well team oriented basketball. And I think that throughout the most most of the Big Ten, we're going to look at a lot of the teams through that same lens. And I think that's really interesting because it gives a different flavor to college basketball because over the last couple of years, we've been so used to the standout star NBA prospect being the leader of the team. And a lot of the teams that we've seen have had really high level NBA prospects as a part of it. I mean, even if you look at, we mentioned on the uh, on the Big 12 episode about te- Texas Tech resurging. They played up against Virginia. Virginia had DeAndre Hunter, who was the fourth overall pick in that year. And look at him now in Atlanta, dude. He's 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 hooping. And that's kind of what's conducive to what's been winning national championships as of late is having those top tier level teams. So. I mean, not overall, it's not the overall deciding factor, but it's had a lot to do with, especially the road to at least the elite eight. You know what I mean? So I think the big 10 is, is scary dangerous because of the fact that they have a very unconventional style of basketball in terms of what we've seen over the last couple of years. So moving on now to our next team in Purdue, Jalen, I want to ask the same question that I posed with Wisconsin. Where do you think Purdue stands in the Big Ten? I think the Boilermakers are just as weird as Wisconsin is because they're another team that, like, you're just like, I don't know. Like, I'm just not necessarily sure what to make of them. I think that um, one of the main guys that you can point to when you look at them is obviously, like, you know, Brandon Newman. But, like, he's a guy who's very on and off. Brandon Newman had had a 20-plus point per game, uh, 20-point, outburst um against minnesota in that 81 to 62 win where he had 29 points and six rebounds in the game but then literally just a week prior they played against michigan who he did say does not play on defense they are no joke on that side of the ball and they held him to six points in that game so i think that it's weird if we keep going through when we keep taking a look at it there's one. There's another game where he goes straight over, and then the and then Travion Williams is the guy. I think that 
Travion Williams is the the bus driver for this team, so to speak. He's the guy who's like the quote-unquote model of consistency. I think Brandon Newman is the guy who I don't want to just go based off the game against Minnesota, and maybe I am leaning too deep into it. But he's the flamethrower-esque player that I think if they can get more consistency from him, they can be a lot more dangerous as a team. I think that Travion Williams is obviously the guy. I think if you keep looking further and further down the down the stats, even if you look at his game against Illinois, he was pretty much the guy, 14-8-2. and two. But there goes Brandon Newman again with 14-5 and five in that game against Illinois. So I think that Newman is the guy that when unlocked, he is the difference maker for this team. And I think that's the biggest tell for me with them because of the fact that they're another team that obviously doesn't have a standout star either, yet they also don't have really any, maybe I'm tripping, but outside of the win over Ohio state, they don't really have any like great quality wins all year. You know what I mean? I mean, there's the game against Indiana, but other than that, I mean, there's not really a lot to say for it. I mean, maybe they just have Ohio State's number this year. I mean, it was the second time winning against them this season. But other than that, it's kind of hard to really get a uh, get a beat on what this team really is or could become moving forward. And I feel like it relies mainly on guys like Brandon Newman because he's shooting 44% from three this year. And He's had some big games this year. You mentioned 29 points against Minnesota, 13 points against Penn State. Uh, he also had 12 points against Indiana. So he's had a couple of double-digit performances, also 17 points against Maryland. But I also kind of feel like it falls on Trevion Williams, who's been like the main playmaker for this team. He's averaging 15 points a game, close to 10 rebounds, so he's almost averaging a double-double, and he's shooting 51% from the field. He's had a lot of double-digit games so far this year. 17 points against Minnesota, 14 points and 11 rebounds against Michigan, and a huge win against Ohio State. He put up 16 points and 7 rebounds, another double-double against Penn State, 13 and 11 rebounds, 22 and 10 against Indiana. Four of the past five games, he's averaged a double-double, and I haven't even mentioned the 26-point performance that he put up against Michigan State. He's clearly their playmaker, so they're going to have to rely heavily on him in order to create scoring options and help Purdue win these games. I would also have to point out a guy in Sasha Stefanovic who's averaging 11 points a game and shooting 46% from the field. He had big games, big 15-point games against Ohio State and Penn State, which resulted in wins. So I feel like it's going to have to come down to multiple guys. I think Trevion Williams, like I mentioned, is the playmaker of this team, but there's a lot of potential for Newman to really step up and make a lot of contributions on the offensive side, considering that he's been one of the best three-point shooters in the conference. And I feel like if he's able to unlock that three-point shooting potential, Purdue could be a dangerous team. Yeah, man. I think, I think that they're definitely a really dangerous team riding on the, on the back of Travion Williams. I think this is one of the better big men, in the conference, I think he's one of those guys who can make a really, uh, really legitimate case for being one of the top five big guys in the conference. If we really did a, a sit down and breakdown of the position, 
Um, in the Big Ten, I think the big thing for the Boilermakers moving forward, I think you touched on it the most, was their ability to shoot the ball at a high clip because that's really their big thing. They have the enforcer inside that they need. That part is pretty much set. But it's getting the consistent consistency from some of these other guys that's going to be huge in terms of seeing what Purdue can become moving forward. But this team is tricky. I think they have another. Uh, they have a couple of chances to really get some other quality wins in here. But, I mean, really, you know, again, I, I said it beforehand, their only real big wins are against Ohio State, and there's probably just a really big chance that they just have Ohio State's number. But the only other game that's really going to mean anything in terms of getting a true litmus test of this team moving forward is probably the second-to-last game of the season for them against Purdue. Other than – I mean, I mean against, uh, against Wisconsin, sorry. Other than that – it's 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 really just kind of I'm not gonna say they're gonna run the table because I think think I think teams like Maryland, I think teams like Minnesota, I think I think even a team like Michigan State or Indiana to close off the uh, close out the year could sneak a win off of them. But I think in terms of figuring out where they stand as a Big Ten contender. The only other real game we have to test that is the game against Wisconsin. Other than that, they just look like a middle-of-the-pack Big Ten team. So moving on now to Rutgers. And Jalen, I kind of wanted to pose the same question that I posed with Iowa with Luca Garza. Does Ron Harper affect the winning side for Rutgers? Or do you see somebody else on this team who affects the winning aspect? So I think that... I think that Ron Harper is like a big catalyst of why they are who they are as a team. But again, another team that kind of plays team basketball with that one big name that flashes on the screen when you talk about them winning the game. But the reality of the game, if you were to sit down and watch it, was that it was an overall team effort. Now, now I'll tell you this much. One thing that shocked me about this entire, entire season for them so far is the fact that they are very, like, wishy-washy offensively because – offensively and defensively, honestly, because – in one breath, they can let Ohio State score 79 points in a victory. Granted, Ohio State is no joke in the Big Ten and are legit. But then on the other side, they can hunker down defensively and hold Michigan State to 37 points in a game. So I think that obviously from a defensive potential standpoint, they're somewhere more in the middle of that. Obviously they float more around these games where like the loss to Wisconsin was 60 to 54. Those are more of the style of games that I think they're going to be in, in this conference specifically when they get into tournament play. I think that Ron Harper Jr. is the, I think he is the Luca Garza of this team. I think Jacob Young is another guy who's played pretty well for them so far this season as well in that backcourt. But I would say from a name, name equals face uh, way of looking at this team, when you think Rutgers, you'll probably think somebody 
like um Braun Harper Jr. first, especially with the fact that he is an NBA prospect as a potential like second rounder. But again, another team that like kind of from a team effort perspective, like their team play is their determining factor as to whether or not they win or lose. Not necessarily the uh the ability of one individual player here and there. I have to disagree. I think he does affect the winning aspects, especially early in the season. I want to point to three games in particular early in the season. December 8th, when they played Syracuse, they won uh, 79 to 69. Ron Harper went off for 26 points and seven rebounds. The next game, he went off for 25 points, five rebounds, and four assists against Maryland. And then the game after that against Illinois, they won 91 to 88. He went off for 20, 28 points and nine rebounds. And then in the games after that, Rutgers went on a losing streak where Ron Harper put up his best performance in the first game of that losing streak against Ohio State at 20 points. After that, he didn't have any 20-point performances in that losing streak. But then if you look to the next couple of games, just looking at the Northwestern game where he had 13 points, they ended up winning that game. He ended up putting up a double-double against Indiana, and they won that game. So I feel like he has a slightly large impact on the winning side, especially because, like you mentioned, he is the Luka Garza of this team. Luka Garza is on an Iowa team that's a top-10 team in the country, and Ron Harper Jr. is on a Rutgers team that is in the top 25. Ron Harper is their best player. And I feel like when he when he's able to go off for almost 30 points in three games against Syracuse, Maryland, and Illinois, that's great to have a guy like Ron Harper playing at the level that he's playing at those games. But when he's only playing up nine points a game against Michigan State, four points against Wisconsin, 11 points against Ohio State, 13 points against Michigan State. I feel like that's when Rutgers really struggles because I feel like Ron Harper affects the winning aspect and Rutgers plays well when Ron Harper plays well. I think my only slight argument would be that is just obviously the fact that their two biggest wins, I think if you look at the standings for how, or if you look at their schedule so far, I think we can both – agree that their two biggest wins on the season were against Illinois and against Purdue. So obviously you already touched out, touched on the fact that against Illinois, Ron Harper had 28 points in that game. And that was a victory, but in the game against Purdue, Ron Harper didn't play and Geo Baker led the team with 19 points. And they had um, Montez Mathis come off. Uh, I think I assume he came off the bench unless they were just out there running four guards. I would have to go back and watch the tape, but he had 25 points in 28 minutes. So, I mean, that was a game where they had four guys in double figures with Mathis, like I said, based on the minutes, especially based on the minutes coming off the bench, leading with 25 points, Geo Baker with 19, six and four, and then two other guys with, two other guys with a combined 24 points on the night. So you see their big win against Illinois, which I would say is a bigger win than Purdue, obviously, but you see their big win against Illinois and he gets 28 and they win. 
But then you can also say their big win against Purdue, and he's not on the floor at all. Another guy off the bench has a big performance with 25. Another guy, Geo Baker, with almost 20. And they also win. So that would be my only argument. I do, I do agree with you to a certain extent that he definitely is their best player. That part I was I wouldn't even try to argue against. I do agree that they're he's their best player. I just don't know necessarily how big of an impact he has on winning, and especially with the fact that he's coming back from a little bit of an injury situation also makes it where I don't know necessarily whether or not they can lean on him to be a guy that they're going to be running their offense through heavily through the rest of the rest of the season. I think they need to, but I don't know if they can rely on him to the sense of saying that he is conducive to winning. I think he is in a Luca Garza aspect where he still needs the team around him to step up relatively big. Cause he's not the star caliber player that can carry his team to a big 10 championship. I think he's just the leading catalyst of that. So now moving on to our sleeper picks, Jalen, who is your sleeper in the big 10? So honestly, I think this is one of those where I think we both can easily agree that it's Minnesota. Um, I don't think that that's like a great pick because this is the part of the, this is the part of the bracket where once you get further down, Minnesota really is the best team left really. And we're not even, super confident or at least I'm going to say I'm not even super confident in saying that because really their only big win was when they sniped that 75 to 57 win over Michigan like literally like two weeks ago other than that if you look at a lot of what they've done in Big Ten play I mean there was the early early Christmas gift win against Iowa that I think was probably their quote unquote biggest win of the season outside of um maybe the Purdue game I think I mean again uh the Michigan game I think the the Iowa and Michigan games tell you what the upside of this this team could be but other than that in Big Ten play they've been pretty bad i mean like pretty bad they i mean michigan got their get back game by winning 82 to 57 iowa got their big get back game winning 86 to 71 sorry i gotta do this to you again but they lost to maryland like obviously purdue got a big win 81 to 62 it's like when they play good teams they are not ready they are not prepared at all or just, I don't know if it's a confidence level. I don't know if it's being outmatched. Um, I'm not sure. Not entirely sure. They have these weird sneaky wins in there, though. I mean, Ohio State is also in there as a game that they won by 17. So it's weird. The more you, it's it's one of those things we're doing this in the middle of the podcast, and I'm looking at it more and more, and you can see where the quality wins are there. But there's also so many like weird losses in there too that you're just like. Again, this team is in a weird like identity crisis mode of like, which which one is it? <laughs> which version of this is actually the one that can make a legit case for either being a middle of the pack Big Ten team or a legit Big Ten contender? It's really Minnesota is very interesting. I'll say that much. And I think they're interesting because they're the only team that was able to knock off Michigan. 
And as I'm looking at that game, Marcus Carr played a huge part in that game. He had 17 points, six assists, five rebounds, and three steals. I say another guy that really stepped up is Liam Robbins, who had 22 points and eight rebounds, along with two steals and two blocks. And I would say that that's their biggest win this year. That's really one of the reasons why they are one of the better teams in the Big Ten. But as I'm looking up and down the games that they've played to that they've played thus far, I feel like it's very hard to find quality wins. I would say you think so? Ohio State, that is a huge win. I would say beating Michigan State early in the season, that's a huge win. Beating Iowa in overtime is a huge win. I would also say St. Louis, another huge win, considering how good of a program St. Louis is turning out to be. But other than that, Illinois losing 92 to 65, losing to Wisconsin 71 to 59, losing to Michigan before they beat Michigan 82 to 57, losing to Iowa after they beat them in overtime 86 to 71, losing to Maryland 63 to 49, losing to Purdue 81 to 62. I would say really the only bright spot in most of the losses has been Marcus Carr because Marcus Carr has been, he's been an amazing player for this Minnesota team against Maryland. He put up 25 points and seven rebounds in the loss to Iowa. He put up 13 points, four rebounds and four assists. He had 14 points in the loss to Michigan in the loss to Wisconsin. He had 10 points, seven assists and five rebounds in the loss to Illinois. He had 16 points, uh, six rebounds and five assists. I do want to say that most of his better performances have come when Minnesota has won, has won games. But I feel like Marcus Carr has been like the real bright spot for this Minnesota team that's struggled to get some quality wins. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. As we're, as we're talking about it, I know this is like a mid-podcast flip kind of thing. But as we're talking about it, I, I kind of feel like they've actually played a lot better than we're giving them credit. Like now that we're actually discussing it, really going down the list and taking a look at some of the wins that they have – I think the real thing is that they're inconsistent. I think it's not that they don't have quality wins. I think it's just that for every quality win they have, they have a weird loss in the midst of it. Because like we said beforehand, you beat Michigan and you follow that up with a double-digit loss to Maryland and a double-digit loss to Purdue. I think that that those are, I mean, per, losing to Purdue is not questionable, but dropping two games to back to back after beating Michigan, it, it, it almost brings you back to earth. You kind of get this weird euphoria look at Minnesota and say, oh man, they could be extremely dangerous in the Big Ten as like the seventh or eighth team. But then you see them lose to a team like Maryland, who I genuinely don't think that they like have any business losing to. And they drop that game and they, they lose bad. When they lose to Purdue, it was it was it was bad. You know what I mean? It was I mean that was a, that was a nineteen point game. So it's weird. You know, it's it's really weird. Really quality win against Iowa follows that up with a really good win against Michigan State. Drops a game to to Wisconsin by twelve. Then you go out and beat Ohio State. Like they're just. 
they're super confusing. Like, again, like I said, going back and looking back at their schedule, really sitting down and taking a look at them, especially especially even when you factor in like non-conference with the St. Louis Billikens win. Like, I think that one was one where, I mean, because we talked pretty high on them earlier on in the year. And I, I think that's a quality win. But then like, let's again, let's go ahead and look at it. You fall, you you lose you lose big to Illinois before that. So it's it's like again, we don't really know what what version of this team you know we're gonna get. I think this is a team that is built for the Big Ten, the Big Ten tournament. Funny enough, though, I think that's I think that's the best argument we can make is if you need them to win one game against a quality opponent, they've proven on multiple occasions throughout this season that they can take a game off of quality opponents. Obviously, Ohio State, Iowa, uh, Michigan, we've touched on all of them. Of course, Michigan and Iowa got their get back games. Uh, Ohio State. Um, unfortunately, I don't think it's going to get a chance to get, uh, get another one, get another smack at them, but we've seen that they can get a quality win off of top tier teams in the conference. So I think the fact that they at least have that track record of getting those big wins, even if they're inconsistent, you have to just be good enough for one game to go through the tournament. You just have to beat that team one time. And I do think that they're dangerous enough to do that. And that's why I think it's fair enough to call them our sleepers is because they're a scary team when the chips are on the, on, on the line. When you put all the chips in the middle of the table, they're, they're a scary squad. So Minnesota is very, very confusing in terms of defining what their, what their identity is. But they're a team I would not want to face in a win or go home scenario. So transitioning to our question of the day for our fans, do you believe Minnesota is the sleeper team in the Big Ten? This has been a great episode today on the Hoop Talk podcast. Of course, make sure you subscribe to us on Apple, you rate our podcast five stars, and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you guys next episode. Peace.